This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our guest today at Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com, is Moss Vidal. Uh, Moss is a yogi, a mystic, a practitioner of Ayurveda, uh, and has become one of the most influential yoga and Ayurveda teachers in the world. Uh, his latest book, The Sun, Moon, and Earth. Moss, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on and speak with uh, Phil and I today. It's my pleasure. Phil and me today. Go ahead, Phil. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, Dennis. Uh, good morning, uh, Moss. Um, before we begin, I should, um, in the interest of full disclosure, say that Moss is a friend of mine, and um, I wrote the foreword to his new book. Um, that having been said, uh, Moss, uh, give us a little bit about your background uh, and what brought you to the world of yoga and Ayurveda, and we'll get into the book and your teachings after it. Yeah. Um, well, basically, um, you know, I'm American-born. I often say that, you know, I have an American heart. I have um, Latin or, you know, uh, Cuban blood and an Indian soul. <laughs> so it's a three-part equation. And I, I, like many, I feel, in America, have been um, estranged from their emotional side. And um, I'm a product of American society, which, as we know, uh, going back to the 60s, um, had a lot, a lot to do with alcohol, drugs, prescription drugs, um, sitcoms, junk food, and this is what has sort of uh, pervaded for the last 30, 40 years. And, <clears throat> you know, I grew up in Florida. I was uh, raised in Miami, a, a town that I, I visit still uh, quite frequently. Um, but I felt a draw to the West, and um, there was something pulling me out here. I wanted to go to college out here, I, I, or even grad school, but I finished my, my uh, undergraduate at the University of Florida and then jumped in my car, couldn't count the days, and raced over to California. And it wasn't within <clears throat> weeks that I was introduced to yoga, Ayurveda, and uh, Jyotish, the Vedic astrology, uh, through the one person and the only person that I knew in Los Angeles, and she happened to live in Beverly Hills and was an actress. And, uh, and that's where it all began, and that exploration uh, particularly during the 90s, uh, drew me to study most of the major religions um, and uh, was drawn to the teachings of Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda, of the famed autobiography of a yogi. And um, there was a period of <clears throat> six to seven years of you know, deep, deep searching, studying courses, meditation retreats from 19, 
91 all the way through 1996, 97. And then ultimately I decided that yoga was a very important part of my life and it started to change my lifestyle. And basically it was the beginnings of a dismantling of a persona, yeah, of a consciousness that was very much raised in the Americana uh, attitude. And this Eastern philosophy and this Eastern thinking started to take apart everything I knew and thought I was. And, uh, and that's sort of how it <laughs> came together. And now here, close to, you know, 30 years later, um, you know, I authored this book and I continue to teach and do all of that. So hopefully that answers your question. No, I think uh, yeah, we want to go even deeper with that. Uh, but uh, I, I think that's a, a very good basis you've laid about uh, your journey. And uh, I do want to ask you more about uh, your uh, attraction to Yogananda. And like Phil, my co-host here, you appeared in the film Awake, The Life of Yogananda. And um, what was it about his teaching that drew you in? And also, uh, I know many uh, folks who uh, practice the uh, techniques and follow the teachings of Yogananda. I, I've been uh, somewhat of a student myself in a small way, uh, but uh, many of those people, they, they follow that particular uh, spiritual path and uh, specifically those techniques that he teaches uh, and not really uh, look into other areas so much. In your own case, is that one of many traditions that you draw from or the only one? No, that's one of many traditions mm -hmm. that I draw from. I'm very closely aligned with um, the Shivananda tradition, lineage of the Divine Life Society. Um, I'm also connected to the Vedanta Society of the um, Ramakrishna and Swami Vivekananda. And um, many of the lineage-based traditions um, that are still intact today, I have some affiliation and association with them, both here in the U.S. and in India. Right. Uh, with regards to why Yogananda, mm -hmm. well, I'm not the, the typical case, even though I, for the most part, I was raised a Catholic boy. It wasn't the connection to Jesus that drew me to Yogananda. Um, it was it was really the universal um, approach that Yogananda took, the scientific approach, if you will, if that term applies more, um, you know, clearly to some. It was this kind of universal scientific approach that was so appealing to me, and I just found that uh, it was practical, it was common sense. And he never, um, he never said my way was the best way. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this really appeals to me. This is not about dogma. This is not about um, conversion in any way. And, and as I dove deeper into it, I realized not only is it universal, but it's an integral approach. It included every aspect, um, the meditation, the physical side, the diet, and that to me f fascinated me. Moss, let's uh, take that a step further. We've had 
a number of uh, yoga teachers on the show, and uh, invariably uh, the subject comes around to contemporary yoga, which uh, and and it's um, becoming synonymous with physical practice of asana. You're a physical guy. You were a, a physical culturist, a weightlifter before you got into yoga. Um, you teach asanas. Um, how do you see the role of asana in the, the, the whole picture of yoga and in your teaching? Um, what is the place of asana? Yeah, thank you. And I think that's a powerful and very important question. Um, you're right. I, I, that's the paradox with me because I came from the most physical side of athletics and my whole consciousness was about physicality, was I am the body, I've got a great body and all of this stuff. And yoga did precisely did this to me, is that when I practiced this integral yoga that Yogananda taught, um, and not limited to his tradition, but I, I, for the most part, am committed to that lineage. Um, it started to take apart this identification that I had with a body, with the tangible aspect of consciousness. I think that asana is a product of our times. I think that the use of the physical body for spiritual evolution is important and very um, pivotal today because what I write about in my book is that we're a culture, particularly in the West, that has experienced what I call mind-body fracturing, where we have fractured and broken the relationship that the mind has with the body and the true purpose of what the mind-body relationship is. And so I think part of our work today as healers, teachers, authors, is to mend and heal that fractured relationship between the mind and the body. And that involves connecting people to the body. I don't have a problem with asana. I don't have a problem with yoga teachers teaching asana. I have a problem with the way that yoga is being taught today and the way the body is being used for spiritual evolution, I find is, as one dear teacher, Swami, friend of mine says, they're looking at yoga as kindergarten and they're not seeing the whole process of education that yoga provides. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mas, uh, uh, if I could follow up on that, <clears throat> what uh, specifically, and uh, we've had this discussion with other yoga teachers that have come on our podcast, but what specifically is the uh, weakness or areas that uh, many yoga teachers in our culture are not uh, getting into or doing incorrectly that could be improved? And, and what should somebody who is listening in that thinks, you know, I think this is a good time for me start, to start doing hatha yoga. What would you recommend uh, they, they do, or where do they go to make sure they're getting it presented to them correctly? Yeah, I, I, I love that question, Dennis, and I'll answer it backwards. First of all, I think that we need to return to what we call lineage-based tradition, 
Mm-hmm. I think that yoga teachers need to align with the teachings and the wisdom of the lineages that have expounded these, these teachings for quite some time, but particularly in the last 100, 150 years. And there's a lack of that. Yoga teachers today are, are learning from concocted formulas that are really have no basis, no foundation, no tradition to associate or link to. The second thing is, and one thing that you'll find interesting about yoga, and I have grown in close association with many, as I've mentioned uh, earlier, of these Indian-based traditions, is that you will never, when you look at the teaching, you will never find conflict between the teachings of one lineage, whether it be Maharshi or Yogananda or uh, Shivananda, you will not find conflict between what they're teaching. All you see is a difference in the approach in how they explain the teaching. But there's never anything that that conflicts, that's consistent in in the in in the wisdom that exists. And what one thing that that yoga teachers need to do is learn to teach people, to go beyond the body. They need to t- learn to teach people to use the body as a vehicle for expanding and awakening their consciousness. They have to follow the core text of yoga, which is mainly the Bhagavad Gita and Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, which strongly emphasize going beyond the senses, which in the very basic sense is go beyond the ego mind. And too much asana today is getting people connected to their bodies, but mm. it's not teaching them to go beyond the body. Very interesting, Phil. Um, Moss, um, that said, how would you describe the role of asana, and you can add pranayama to that, in the context of the higher goals of yoga in an integral approach. Yes. Over and above the health benefits and fitness benefits of, of, um, of those physical practices, what is yeah. their role? Well, so basically, there, there are three main aspects that we look at with regards to this. First of all, that yoga has this universal oneness consciousness, that everything is one, there's one source, one truth. And that aligns mostly with the Vedantic or Advaita Vedanta perspective. Then there's Samkhya, which is the philosophy of the 24 uh, principles. And the beauty of that philosophical um, approach is that it, it expounds the idea of the five elements, which correlates to the five chakras. The third aspect is yoga. Yoga is the, the, the system of practices. And as you mentioned, um, the best yoga um, reference to that is the classical model presented by Patanjali, where he shows a progression going from lifestyle, which is our external relationship that we have with society and with people. Then it progresses from asana, physical body, pranayama, 
subtle body or the mind, then the next level is relaxation or a term that's used, pratyahara. So when you look at the philosophical teaching of Samkhya and it gives you earth, water, fire, air, and ether, it presents a model for how we can progress and heal ourselves that the first healing begins with the earth. Our relationship to the earth is equivalent to our relationship to our body. We have to learn to live on this planet in a way that's harmonious, in a way that's, that's without violence. And that same relationship in metaphor is applied to our physical body, which is the equivalent of earth. And then, you know, asana is a great system to balancing the body mm -hmm. and working with that. And then you go to water, then you go to fire and air. And so breath work then takes us into a more relaxed state. And then there's the capacity to understand the mind and concentrate, which ultimately leads us to meditation. Meditation is the culmination of yoga of Ayurveda and even astrology and all of the great Eastern philosophical traditions look to meditation as the cornerstone of the, it's the hallmark of Eastern wisdom teaching. Moss, mm -hmm. uh, uh, in reading your, in the, your website, dancingshiva.com, uh, one of the things it talks about is uh, in the Joseph uh, Campbell mythological sense of the word, You've been on the hero's journal, journey uh, much of your adult life. So when you talk about practicing yoga, asanas, and pranayama, ultimately meditation, I assume that there's some goal in sight. And I know uh, from the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda, he talked about life being for uh, the development of self-realization. Have uh, Is there a goal like that in, in, uh, for you? And once a person achieves that goal, do they do, are they finished with these practices or are there other goals to achieve after self-realization? Yeah, that's a big question, Dennis. <laughs> but um, I'll answer it both in sort of a worldly manner and in a more esoteric manner. Uh, in the worldly sense, um, yes, you're right. The, the goal of... of Yoga in the practical sense is um, a, a harmonious relationship between spirit and nature. That means that mankind seems to find harmony wherever he is on this planet and sees no division or segregation between his being and all that surrounds him, meaning that the divine exists in all aspects of this earth and all aspects of living creation. At when we see or segregate ourselves from that or fragment ourselves from, from this, saying that we are different, there indicates a lack of spirituality or a lack of union with the divine. So in the practical sense, what yoga is trying to teach us is to unite to the divine, to this very place that we exist right now, and through every aspect of life in itself. 
On the esoteric side, there are a number of terms that define an exalted state of consciousness that is commonly referred to as samadhi. The Buddha referred to it as nirvana. And many other states or terms are, are used like kaivalya and um, um, uh, some others that <laughs> don't come to mind right now. But basically the whole um, Turiya state and this and that, the whole idea is that you merge your consciousness, your individualized consciousness, uh, termed as the jivatman, with Brahman, with the totality of consciousness that supports this planet or this plane. Now, that realization is a preliminary one that exists on what is called this Bhuloka. And according to the Vedic tradition, there are seven realms known as Lokas. And this realization of Samadhi on the this particular realm is only one level of seven potential, um, which are finer, more etheric, light domains, and all of that. So that's where it goes. Moss, uh, the subtitle of your new book, uh, Sun, Moon, and Earth, is The Sacred Relationship of Yoga and Ayurveda. Um, Yoga's been with us a long time in the West. Ayurveda is relatively new, but uh, growing in uh, people's awareness. Um, but they're often uh, presented as uh, sort of separate systems. Um, how do you see the interaction or the integration of those two ancient systems? And uh, why did you single out that relationship uh, in your book? Thank you for that question. The relationship that spirit shares with nature is eternal. And going back to the earliest sources of the Vedas, um, from the Atarva Veda, which is the later Veda, and to the earliest, to the Rig Veda, there was always tremendous reverence for nature. And they used nature and worked with nature to cultivate um, a life of divinity because the divine existed in nature. So my subtitle, it states that, that yoga and Ayurveda share a sacred relationship because they were born of the same root. In the Vedic culture, uh, they weren't a separate branch. They weren't separated by what later became known as Upavedas. Uh, yoga and Ayurveda were part of one grander uh, culture that existed during that time. And so their relationship to nature, to the stars, to the planets, uh, was all linked and interconnected. And I find that now going into this new age of materialism, which started um, back in 1700, um, and I dedicate a substantial section in my book and theme to this is that it's not by coincidence that in the early 1800s, both Ramakrishna and the yoga, Kriya Yoga lineages took birth. And the same things were happening, as Phil, you know very well, in the New England states with Emerson and, and uh, Whitman and those individuals that this particular time in human history 
represents a return that we have to our spirituality because we're, we've shifted out of the dark ages, out of what was called the Kali Yuga. And now this sacred relationship is about mankind learning to live in harmony with nature. And the greatest tradition to teaches us to have that self-healing relationship. Remember that our body is nature. It begins with self-care. And so the fascination with self-care that we see today, especially in California and all the major cities, it's about healing the body and healing the body. But interesting enough, what you're seeing is a parallel uh, relationship that people are having with recycling, ecology, mm -hmm. solar panels, electric cars, and all of these, both of these things are happening side by side. The fascination with living longer and the fascination with trying to save our planet. <laughs> so. uh, Masa, if I, I'm, I'm curious, what is your uh, daily routine like uh, in terms of especially spiritual practices? And uh, people listening, what is one or two things you could recommend people who have no experience with uh, spiritual practices? What, what are one or two things they could do every day to improve the quality of their life? Well, I think one very simple thing they can do is get some exposure to nature. Um, I find that that has the most direct and immediate effect on the mind. Go to a beach, go out into a forest, get into contact with the elements. That's where we came from, and that will give us the most immediate uh, sort of feeling of um, that is natural to us. It gives us our mind space. It gives us uh, the, it it invokes creativity in us, and it draws us um, to an aspect our, of ourselves that has been removed because of electronica and the types of dwellings that we live in. The other thing that I think is very important for people today is to practice um, silence what I call the three S's, stillness, silence, and solitude. If, if people could create uh, some time in their day to be alone by turning off all their equipment and uh, practicing silence, not speaking to anyone, maybe an hour, maybe a half a day, and then practicing the art of stillness, which leads into the Eastern tradition of meditation. Mm -hmm. Sit on a bench, uh, close your eyes, or maybe don't even close your eyes. Stare at a tree, look at a beautiful bird, and l see what that invokes within yourself. Maybe perhaps recite a mantra, uh, an affirmation, something that can quiet your mind. There's so many things, but basically it comes down to those two things, nature and uh, stillness. Moss, um, we have a few minutes left. Um, I uh, wrote the foreword to your new book, which I admire, uh, but I'd like you to have the last word. Tell us in a few uh, sentences what people should know about the book and why our listeners should uh, write down the title and uh, go get one. Thank you. 
Yes, I do admire your foreword, and I, I, <laughs> I, I, I was very happy to ask you to write it. <laughs> we should say that David Frawley, who was another one of our guests, wrote the introduction. Uh, yes, yes, he did, and and you know him very well. Um, and I, I'm, I'm really happy with the forward that you wrote and the perspective that you take because you present a clear understanding of of our Eastern, how Eastern wisdom has expressed itself, particularly in the West. And the book starts um, sort of laying uh, the seeds for why we are today as Americans in a Western culture, not limited to us living in America, but Americana has become now a global type of thinking in a way. But the movement and the birth of America, if you will, sprouted a particular type of consciousness that needs, is in dire need for healing. (laughs) So, um, the book, to me, is a, a, a holistic guide to using yoga in a practical way and understanding Ayurveda also in a practical way to help us find a higher purpose in life. Um, I find that these traditions can teach us to have a new relationship with ourselves and a new relationship with the purpose of life. Why is it that we're here? What is the purpose of life? And the yoga traditions and the Vedic wisdom has always said, we are here to realize that our, our consciousness and this eternal consciousness is ultimately one consciousness. Realize that and living on this planet and sharing this planet with all the different beings and life forms will be nothing but joyful, harmonious, and wonderful to experience. And that's basically it for me. <laughs> you know, it's a, uh, it's a very broad book. It presents a lot of broad perspectives, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, practical and simple perspectives on 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 how to use even breath work and postures. But I present things in there, and, and I, I'll make a claim that I'll present thing, I present things in that book, particularly relative to asana and breath work, that you do not find in any yoga teaching today, except the lineage-based traditions. And my hope, <clears throat> pardon me, is that these Western yoga factions will begin to align themselves with the true essence of yoga and understand the mystical insights that yoga presents itself, presents within the teachings, within the wonderful stories, and the very powerful techniques that are not limited to physical uh, capacity. They're not limited to what your body looks like. Yoga is for everybody, and there's an aspect of yoga that can help everybody. Mm-hmm. Skinny or fat, black, white, or Chinese, doesn't matter. It's for everyone. Great. Okay. Well, thank you so very much, Vas, for your time. Uh, again, uh, the book, uh, The Sun, Moon, and Earth, uh, the author, Mas Vidal, our guest today, 
Uh, really appreciate you coming on today. And um, you can learn more about Moss and his work at dancingshiva.com. And uh, we'll have all that information on the web. Thank Thanks, you. Moss. Thank you too so Thank much. You.